0: All right, Habakkuk chapter 3, we are moving into the third and final chapter of the book. We're going to start with just verses 1 and 2 tonight. Habakkuk chapter 3. I get into the verse, though, what have we seen so far? You want to recap for me or give me any information on what we've learned so far? We've learned a lot of stuff. We saw first what? Habakkuk's burden, right? Sin. He had a burden for the sin around him, didn't he? God, what? you got to do something. It amazes me we've made a lot of comparisons between Habakkuk and our modern culture, but it amazes me that uh, there's not more Christians burdened for America, right? It doesn't seem like a lot of Christians just, they just accept it, this is just the way it is. And there's no burden. There's no no crying out, God, what? You've got to do something, judge the wicked, stop the wickedness, bring justice to the land. And there are so many Christians, I feel, in our culture, who aren't moved to cry that. They just accept it. This is just the way it is. There's no weeping over it. I'm convinced on November the 8th, if we do pass Prop 1, millions of Christians in California will go to bed with a dry eye. They'll look at the news and go, oh, well, we lost. And they'll go to bed and go up the next day and start their life as usual. Listen, if that passes on November 9th, it isn't life as usual. It starts for us, it should bring us to a new place of repentance, a new crying out to God to bring justice, right? We've gone from tolerating the murder of the of the babies to enshrining it as a right. And yet, I mean six churches on Saturday. How many churches are in this Los Angeles area? Six churches gathering to stand up and say no. Where are the Christians at? They're unmoved. They're unmoved. They need to read Habakkuk again and say, God, give me his burden. He was moved by the sins of his people. Not just by their sins. He had a zeal for the holiness of God. I mean, his cry is like, God, they're violating your law, your holiness. Do you and I have, are we against sin because we're Republicans? A lot of people, that's, that's what it is, right? We're the moral party, so we're against it because it's a political, that's, their, that's our issue. No, 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 we're against it because it's a violation of the holiness of God. That should be our, our motivation should start with God and then move to politics. But it always starts with God. That's where Havoc started with, the holiness of God. God, you see what they're doing. Bring Justice. The problem is, I think a lot of Christians today don't have a good view of the holiness of God. That's the problem. We don't see God for who he really is. And so we don't see ourselves for who we are. We need, in the church today, an Isaiah 6 vision where these churches will stop with the fog machines and stop with the flashing lights and stop with the dance routines and get on their faces before a holy God and cry out for justice. That's what we need. And not just them, by the way, us as well. Us as well. We need to, we can get into the same, we may not have the flashing lights and the fog machines, but we need to pray more. I'm convinced. You guys don't realize how close I am to starting a two-hour prayer meeting on Sunday morning. We need to pray more. We need to pray more. We need to cry to God more. You and I need to be more troubled by what's going on around us than we are today. Me included. We need to be more angry about sin. We need to be more heartbroken over sin than we are today, Habakkuk was. That's what I've learned so far. I'm not nearly as heartbroken over sin as I need to be, and I'm not as zealous for the holiness of God as I need to be. So he cries for justice. And then what happens? God answers him. Oh, I'm bringing justice. It hasn't escaped my... I'm paying attention. It's coming, and here's what's coming. And then what does to do? Wait a minute, God hold on, hold on, I don't mean to second guess you, but what do you think you're doing? But God assures him, I'm not going to destroy my heritage. And he lays out, as we saw last week, the woes against the invading army. Oh, their judgment was coming too. Basically, God told Habakkuk, I'm not choosing them over you or you over them. I'm punishing you for your evil, and I'm punishing them for their evil. In other words, God is a just God. He brings justice. And so now we come to chapter 3, which starts off where it should. And that is a prayer for revival. I've been talking a lot about revival the last couple of weeks, and you may hear some of the same things again today and you say, I'm tired of hearing that. Then let's pray more for revival and I'll stop saying it, amen. Habakkuk 3, verses 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shagayanoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is a prayer for revival. This is, this is Habakkuk's response to God. You're gonna bring justice. You're gonna bring judgment. But revive us. Do a work among us. Really, Habakkuk, he knows what's coming. So when he says bring revival, he's not talking about right now. He, he, he's not, he doesn't have some pie-in-the-sky dream about avoiding judgment. What he's saying is after you crush us in judgment and discipline us, raise us up in revival. Do something. We don't want to come back and be the same people we were before. So for us, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you this. Revival does not come through extra church services. It doesn't come through extra church. Um, I've said it before. I think we should do away with the title, Revival Meeting. Call it what it is. A Bible conference, a family conference. Revival doesn't come when you and I decide for it to come. We can't schedule it. We're having revival the first week of March. Says who? Did God tell you this? Family conferences, Bible conferences, they aren't bad, but they aren't revival. Okay? In a biblical sense. Revival is not something we do or something we conjure up in here. It's a work of God that manifests itself in here, but is completely outside of us. Revival comes through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and that comes through prayer. That's where revival comes, through prayer. Often, in great revivals of the past, the Holy Spirit came after many months of rigorous prayer for revival. It often comes in ordinary places, at ordinary times, in ordinary church services, and manifests itself in extra church services. See, we've got it all backwards. We have extra church and call it revival, but when in reality, revival is a regular church service. The Holy Spirit falls on the people, and they start coming every night to church. Why? Because they want more revival. Right? We're doing it backwards. We would do well to devote a night every week or several nights a week to praying for revival, asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit, asking God to do a work among us. Many, 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 many of the historic revivals of the church happened because people were praying specifically for it. We have to seek God specifically for a work of his Holy Spirit and wait and pray and wait, and pray, and wait. We don't decide when it comes, or if it comes, but we seek God. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. Who wants to read scripture tonight? Isaiah 57, 15 is available. Not Dale, though, because his reading is really slow. We'll be here all night long. People have to work tomorrow, buddy. I'm sorry. Isaiah 57, 15. There we go.
1: For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones.
2: Amen.
0: That verse is special to me. I was... uh, on a very wayward path as a teenager for a long time. And then my pastor, who's not a very good pastor overall, but God uses imperfect people, pulled me aside one day and said, there's a men's retreat and you're going with me. I was like, I'm not going to, you're going, I've already paid, you have to go. And the preacher I remember preached this one verse the whole weekend. This one verse. And it's always stuck with me. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. His name is holy. His name is holy. Think about that on November 8th when you go to bed. Dry-eyed and unbothered by the sins of our people. His name is holy. We've violated him so much, haven't we? Every sin you and I commit is a sin against a holy God. I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive everybody, no. The spirit of the humble and the heart of the contrite ones. You want revival, Christian? We've got. We've got. We need contrition and humility. He doesn't revive the proud. He doesn't revive the boastful. He doesn't revive the apathetic, the uninterested. He revives the contrite and the humble. We must humble ourselves before a holy God. That means confessing our sins. That means being honest with ourselves. Understand that. We have this Individualism in America that's kind of dangerous. It's, it's not biblical, right? I don't need to repent for that. I didn't vote for that. I wasn't alive when they legalized abortion, so it's not my problem. Well, you know what? Daniel wasn't one of the ones that received judgment, was he? But in Daniel chapter nine, what's he doing? Confessing his sins and the sins of his people. He identified with his people in their sin, though he wasn't the one committing it. We need to humble ourselves before God and confess, as Americans, we have sinned against the Holy God. We are, we're guilt, we're among the guilty. We have tolerated it, haven't we? We have been indifferent to it, haven't we? Even this last election. Vote for this guy, vote for this guy. Well, he's for abortion in certain situations. Well, he's still the most pro-life one out there. I'm not doing that. If he's for the murder of any babies at all, I'm not voting for him. You know why? Because for too long, I have voted for people who were, kill- who were, for-, who were for killing certain babies under certain circumstances, and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm repenting of that. I didn't cast a vote for governor today when I dropped my ballot off. You know why? Because there's nobody running who's against the murder of babies under any circumstance. And I'm taking my stand now. Hey, listen, God chooses leaders. We can't change that. God foreordains who's going to lead our country, who's going to lead our state. I don't believe that he sits up there in heaven wondering what's going to happen on election day. He knows. But I'm, I'm, my principle, I'm not going to cast my vote for anybody ever, ever again who is for the murder of babies. You know why? I've done it too long, too long. And how long before we compromise our way into? I had a friend. I have to get back in the story. We we're debating this issue, and uh, he said, "Well, you have to take the candidate that's the best in your towards your, you know, the the most in your direction." I said. So, He's a Republican. I said, what are, what's going to happen when the Democrats finally put out, not finally, keep putting out pro-choice candidates, and then the, finally the Republicans in California put out a pro-choice candidate? He's just not going to vote then? He goes, oh no, I'll, I'll still vote for the Republican guy because he's still better than the Democratic guy. I said, see right there, you've compromised your way into voting for abortion now. Say, Pastor, you're being too harsh on this. Am I? So, the exceptions for abortion. Rape, incest, life of the mother. By the way, you're, you're trusting murderers, to be honest, about the reason they're killing me. But anyways, let's not go there. Let's say I've heard that that makes up about 2% of all abortions. That's not that much, right? 2%. We can compromise there. Now, let, let me change the language a little bit for you guys, though, okay? You have a candidate who believes in killing all the babies, or a candidate who believes in killing 2% of the babies. Now, let's change the language, though. You have a candidate who's for killing all the Jewish people, or 2% of the Jewish people. Uh Uh-oh. All the black people, or 2% of the black people. That same brother I was talking to, when I put it in those terms, oh, I wouldn't vote for either one of those. Yeah, right there. You just dehumanize those babies. You're saying they are worth less than those other groups I just mentioned. We have compromised too long, church. Here's where we take our stand. Here's where we say no more. Here's where we repent of our compromise. We have to. If we're ever going to see revival, we have to be humble and contrite and confess that we have failed to stand for the truth. Sorry, I'm a bit emotional over the election stuff. Let me get back to my notes. It's safer for me. Charles Spurgeon said, "O men and brethren, what would this heart feel if I could but believe that there were some among you who would go home and pray for a revival? Men whose faith is large enough and their love fiery enough to lead them from this moment to exercise unceasing intercessions that God would appear among us and do wondrous things here as in the times of former generations. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when did you last hear anyone praying for revival, praying that God might open the windows of heaven and pour out his spirit? When did you last pray for that yourself? I suggest seriously that we are neglecting this almost entirely. We are guilty of forgetting the authority of the Holy Spirit. When God sends revival, he can do more in a single day than in 50 years of all of our organization. That is the verdict of sheer history, which emerges clearly from the long story of the church. God is willing to give revival if we'll seek it. But we seek it by humility, contrition, confessing our sins. No more compromise. No more compromise with evil. Here we stand. We just did that, didn't we, on Sunday? Here we stand. No compromise. If we don't have revival, it's because we don't want to pay the price that revival requires. That might mean turning off our television sets and praying more. That might mean going to church more, being around other Christians more. Might mean uh, more, more time in the word and more time in prayer. There's a price to be paid. Perhaps pride keeps us from seeing it in our midst. Let's get into our text before I get too far off track here. Verse 1, a prayer of a back of the prophet upon Shigayana. The word Shagayanoth tells us this prayer was originally set to music. It would be similar to a lament or a dirge, which is something associated with funerals. This was a song of sadness and contrition. Kind of fits with what I was just saying, doesn't it? Sadness and contrition. Revival often comes through sadness. I know we want to be happy all the time. Revival comes through tears. We pay the price in tears, mourning, weeping, humility. If we truly recognize who we are in light of the holiness of God, what did Isaiah do in Isaiah 6? He saw the holiness of God and he got up and he danced around and he sang a happy song. No, he didn't do that, did he? He cried out, I don't deserve to be here right now what did Job do? I abhor myself. I detest myself. There's no joy in those men. There was no gladness, no singing. There was sadness, weeping, humility. I'm not, listen, I love, if you listen to those songs we sing, I sing a lot of upbeat songs. I love fast, upbeat, exciting music. But that's not what revival is. Revival is tears, And crying. I saw a revival. I was looking at at revivals. You shouldn't do that on YouTube. It's really bad. You find some heresy. But I, I was looking at revivals on YouTube. And I came to this one. And it was a revival meeting. Supposedly going on for 10 days. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. And they had tambourines. And they're dancing. And they're singing. and Lights flashing. And a fog machine. And just... People dressed like cheerleaders, kicking their feet and dancing. That was the Holy, that's not revival. That's not the song Habakkuk was singing. It was a dirge. It was chest beating, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What what I was saying, that was a show, a performance. It was phony. Revival comes through tears and sadness. When's the last time you cried and prayed for revival? Have you ever? I don't, enough. I need two more. Revival comes not when we're tired of sinning, but when we're so broken over our sins that it completely breaks our heart then we're near revival. Revival is not primarily for the unsaved, by the way. People do get saved in revivals. If you read the great revivals of history. People get saved left and right. It's usually people who were in the church who thought they were saved and they actually weren't. Revival is for us. It's to revive the Christian. People are saved in revival because Christians are revived. They go out and preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves and people get saved. I'm tired of these church revival meetings. Bring all your unsafe friends in on Monday through Friday, and we'll have revival. That's not what it's for. It's for us. It's to change us. That's to have it recognized. The prophet's gonna give us some key, re, keys to revival in the next verse. If we're serious about revival, we need to listen carefully. Verse two. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. He begins with the word, oh. This is not just a throwaway term. You know, oh, dear loved one of mine. This, stuff, this, is, a, this is a soul-searching, oh. Oh, God. I'm so moved Now, You ever heard Brother Tetsuo pray? The heart stirrings, the Holy Spirit... Sometimes he gets down here and all he says is, oh, oh God, oh, oh God. That's that, that that's from the heart crying. That's what that's what Habakkuk's doing here. Oh God, what have we done? Oh God, your temple, your name is blasphemed, the injustice, your people. They strayed from you. There's there's a there's a heart strain here on the prophet. Oh God, there's a deep longing, there's a desperation. Prayer takes emotion. It takes emotion. You know why we're not revived? We have emotionless prayers. Robotic prayers. That's nonsense. Don't be embarrassed to cry in prayer meeting. That's the place to cry. Right? Blessed are those who weep, for they will be comforted. There's things not to weep over. And there are things to weep over. Our sin is something to weep over. Our apathy is something to weep over. The condition of our churches is something to weep over. The condition of our nations is something to weep over. We need this kind of praying if we're going to see revival. Deep soul-searching, heart-wrenching prayers. It takes passion to pray for revival. We're powerless today in part because we're emotionless in prayer. We don't long for answers to prayer. We can take them or leave them. When's the last time you wept as you prayed? I had this one pastor. He was an old man when I went there. He's seventy-two. When I got to the church, and uh, he was exercised over lost souls. I went to the Christian. I went to the church later. I started off just going to the Christian school there at the church, and then I later went to the church. But I remember. Bring stuff, paperwork over from the school, take it to the pastor's office for me. I'd approach the pastor's office, and I, the church, it was very, it had been a big, very big foyer to the church and tile. You could hear everything, everything echoed. The pastor's office is over here to the left off the foyer, and his doors always cracked just a little bit. And you came in, as you come to the front door to open the front door of the church, you'd hear this echoing, wailing sound like cats were dying. And you go to the pastor's office, and there's this old man on a couch in his office, on his knees with his head buried in both hands, crying, Oh God, save so and so. Oh God, save so and so. Oh God. And he, weeping into his couch. He was exercised over his prayer. He was brokenhearted. He's praying for church members. He was praying for broken families. He was praying for backslidden people who hadn't come to church and he was crying. He, I, don't, I don't know if he could pray without crying. He'd pray in the pulpit, he'd start crying. He was moved over the sin of people, the lost condition of people. See, that's not me. That wasn't him either, trust me. I heard about his back. Before I, you know, he was much younger. He was an oil field worker. He was one of those big, tough, gruff guys. But boy, was he exercised over prayers and over souls. More than once, I went to his office during school to take paperwork, and there he was, praying, crying, weeping into his both hands and his face every time, crying like a baby. Have you ever heard the term all that's left to do is pray? We should hate that term. All that's left to do is pray. Come on. That should be our first resort, our first option. Cory Tinboom always said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I'm afraid for a lot of Christians, it's not even a spare tire. They don't have a spare tire. The potluck is full, but the prayer meeting is empty. I don't mean to be rude. I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm speaking of most churches, but even our own church. We had 17 church members here for potluck Sunday night. We had nine for prayer meeting. I'm just, I'm just saying. We should be exercised about that. We should be exercised. We should care far more about prayer than about food. Don't you agree? I, listen, I'm thankful for those who came. Don't, get, don't miss what I'm saying. I'm saying... If we're going to see revival, it's got to start with us. It's got to start with us. My old, old church, we came from, I'm, a, I'm kind of a killjoy sometimes. I'm not uh, everyone's favorite guest preacher. They had a revival last year. Was it last year? I think it was last year. Re- revival. Catch the two-finger, four-finger. Revival. And, uh, It was a good time of preaching, I guess. Not entirely in context. The guy didn't really hold to the context of the scriptures. But anyways, good turnout, though. Good turnout. The church typically had nine people on Sunday nights. Nine, ten. We had like 40 people every night for revival. What a great thing. We had a lot of people who came who claimed that they couldn't come to church. They were physically unable to come to church Sunday nights. Oh, they were there Sunday morning. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. You know why? They liked the preacher. It was a friend of theirs. So they were there. A bunch of people who just, they can't get to church. They're too ill to get to church. But they got to church five nights in a row, five services in a row, six services in a row. When the preacher they wanted to hear was there. Now for their own pastor... No, they're too ill to come to church. The next Wednesday I preached after the revival, we had my family, my sister, and one of the ladies in the church there. And my sermon title was, if you thought we had revival, we didn't. Also known as, we didn't have revival. You know how I know? There's six people here tonight. It was 45 last Wednesday night who were here for the preacher, for the guest preacher. That's all. And the preacher stood our, the pastor stood up afterwards. What a great revival. I think I leaned over my wife who said below me. <laughs> that wasn't revival. But that's what we're settling for in our church is calling it revival. No. That was not of the Holy Spirit. Don't pretend you're serious about revival if you're not. Get serious about revival. Christians today don't believe in the power of prayer. I'm not trying to pick on Jason, but he didn't listen to biographies just to just to verify the things I've been saying are true about some of these people who trusted the Lord through prayer. My wife and I started into George Mueller's autobiography again last night. I Almost read like five chapters of it. I just didn't want to, I, told, I told her, Do you want to stop here? Should we just stay up all night and read the whole book? God moves powerfully through prayer, has all throughout church history. But today we're so self-sufficient. We have explanations for all of this stuff. That's something that God did years ago, but he doesn't do anymore, right? And so we don't believe in the power of prayer. You know why we don't have revival? We don't believe in it. We don't believe in it. Well, we don't want to be accused of being charismatics, do we? I wouldn't worry about that. You realize that most of the great revivals of history happened pre-1906. 1906 is the Azusa Street Revival that sparked the modern charismatic movement. Most of them were up before that, so don't worry about that. And before you get too you know, pious in our reformed view, Jonathan, I read it that one Sunday when I preached on Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening. There was people that were overcome with the Holy Spirit. They were having convulsions on the floor. That's a reformed guy. All I know is there was revival. Am I saying you should have convulsions before? No. But I'm saying we should seek the Holy Spirit. Whatever that looks like, we should seek a work of the Spirit among us. It might make you uncomfortable. You might feel led to stand up in the middle of the service and confess all your sins. I don't know. I read one revival where in the middle of the service, the Holy Spirit just came and fell heavily upon the people. People were weeping in their seats. One man stands up to confess to his wife he's been cheating on her. In the middle of church, it's her first time hearing about it. It was the Holy Spirit. Another lady came and she, she comes down to the front steps of the church and she was howling and wailing during the entire sermon. She couldn't be consoled. So you want that to happen here? No, I'm saying I want whatever that looks like. The Holy Spirit among us, I want that here. I want God to do a work among us, however that is. That's what I'm saying. I want the Holy Spirit. I want the power of God. I want sinners converted. I want people healed. I want backsliders returned. I want those who are here to be on fire for Christ, fully submitted to Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want Christ to work in my life, in my family. I want greater surrender to Christ. I want greater uh, filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want greater power over sin in my life. That's revival. That's what Habakkuk wanted. That's what he wanted. It takes passion. Men like Ironside, Mueller, 10 Boom—not men, but ladies like Ten Boom. Accomplish much through prayer. And you and I sit here in 2022 unimpressed and unconvinced. We need to seek God. We need to see God. Scripture gives us many examples of those who prayed with passion and emotion. Jesus, Hebrews 5, 7 says, prayed with strong crying and tears. Let me ask you again, church, when's the last time you cried when you prayed? Jesus, the Son of God, prayed with loud crying and tears. and we're unmoved. Are we better than Jesus? Loud crying and tears. And we're dry-eyed. Why? We need to ask God to break us. That's what we need to ask God for. The church today today lacks desperation. We lack desperation over our sin. We tolerate it. We tolerate sin in our churches. I know people who are planning right now, professing Christians, planning to marry professing unbelievers, and they're members of good standing in their churches. That's a shame. That's a shame. Listen, I said it on Sunday, it goes to the pastor too. If I'm in sin, I'm you are just as you are just as obligated to bring me under discipline as I am anybody here. We are to seek holiness above all things. We have no desperation over holiness in the church. We don't have desperation over holiness in the world, much less in the church. We've got to stop tolerating sin in the church. The church lacks desperation over power. We're powerless Christians, and we don't care about it. You understand that? We're powerless Christians, and we don't care about it. We're not bothered, we're not exercised over it. We need to cry out to God. Remember Elisha, seeking the extra portion of the spirit of Elijah, that's what we need to be today. God, give me the double portion of Corey Ten Boom, of George Mueller, of, of, of name anybody from church history, Jim Elliott or Elizabeth Elliott, any of these Christians of recent history that, that lived and example for us a life of trust in God and prayer and say, God, give us a double of their spirit. We should be so worked up over the lack of power that we as Christians have. Sin has a hold of us. These little sins, maybe the petty sins, maybe the secret sins, the pet sins we hide, still have power over. We should have desperation over our lack of power over our sin. Say, why are you yelling? I'm I'm not mad. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm exercised over it. I want to see revival. I want to see God do something among us, change us. I want to see us pray more and pray better. I want to see us pray expecting results. We don't have a desperation today to know God deeper than we do in the church. We're we're, we're all ready to settle for mundane Christianity. Just be a Christian, go to church, read my Bible, say my prayers, die, and go to heaven. I don't want that. I want to know God in a deep and personal way. I want to know his holiness more. I want to know his righteousness more. I want to know his prayer-answering ability more. I want to walk with him in a real way. George Mueller, after the death of his wife, Someone said, Are you lonely? He goes, I'm not lonely because the Lord is with me. I walk around my house and I talk to him and it's like it's like he's right there in the room with me. I want to know that. I want to know God more and deeper than I do. I don't want the mundane Christian life and then just die and go to heaven. I want to get to the point where I can step from, from this life into eternity, and the transition is just so smooth because I already walk with God so closely in this life. I think I said it a couple weeks ago, Leonard Ravenhill said, The only reason we don't have revival is that we're willing to live without it. Well, church, I'm not willing anymore. I want to see God do something. I do, He can. I talked to you about people about Prop 1. And would I hear, oh, well, well, it's just this, the state's full of liberals. It's going to happen anyways. You can't do anything. I don't want that. I believe that God can stop that. You realize in California, just in 2008, Californians voted to ban gay marriage. Nobody thought that would ever happen. It got thrown out later, but, but I mean, they, they passed it. God can do anything. I'm I'm not ready to just give up. How do you get to know God? Reading the scriptures. Meditating on the scriptures. Thinking about it. Turning it over in your head every which way. Praying. Talking to God. I'm out of time. I'm not going to finish this tonight. I don't think... I'm gonna finish this point. I may rehash on this point next week, but we're not gonna get past this tonight. We need to know God deeper than we do right now. If you just want the simple, mundane, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do my devotions, I live my life my way, and I die not mean to be rude, but you're in the wrong church. I don't want that. I want extraordinary acts of God. I want visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I want miracles. I want people to be coming to prayer meeting like God saved so-and-so. God healed so-and-so. God provided. I was up against a wall and there was nowhere to go and we were praying for it and God provided a way. That's what I want. That's the Christianity I want. Real, tangible Christianity. I want to walk with God and know God in such an intimate manner that if I'm in a room with God alone, it feels like I'm in there with my wife. Like He's right there walking and talking with me. I want power over my sin. I want power over my sin. I'm going to say that again. I want power over my sin. You want to say it three times? Because we tolerate too much sin in the church. Only the Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. I want power over my weaknesses. I want to know God. I want to know his holiness in such a way that when I sin, it absolutely breaks my heart. That's what I want. He finishes off with just words of Jim Elliot, missionary to where's he at? Ecuador. Died on the mission field, murdered by Indians. He said, "It makes me boil when I think of the power we profess and the utter impotency of our action." Believers who know one tenth as much as we do are doing one hundred times more for God with his blessing and our criticism. Oh, if I could write it, preach it, say it, paint it, anything at all, if only God's power would become known among us. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with. But we are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death, with principalities and powers in high places. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers, while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us, we are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous! Surely, those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah must deny their own loves to share in the expression of his. Consider the call from the throne above Go ye! And from round about, come over and help us, and even the call from the damned souls below, send Lazarus to my brothers, that they come not to this place. Impelled then by these voices, I dare not stay home, while the Kichuas, that's the Indians he went to, perish. So what do the well-fed church and the homeland need stirring? They have the scriptures, Moses, and the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books, and in the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon and God has his rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. Powerful words that we need to heed. Why are we so ordinary, mundane, unmoved? The call is what? Go ye therefore. Like Jim Elliot said, even the damned souls in hell, send, send them to my father's house. We're unmoved. There's sin out there. There's sin here. We need to stand for righteousness in both places. But we need to get it out of here. We need to be humble, contrite. We need to surrender. We need to seek God to do a work among us. Like John Knox, right? Give me Scotland or else I die. Oh, the passion there. That wasn't mundane Christianity. That wasn't mundane. That was to say, God, do something or kill me. John Knox did not want to live if living meant not living with the power of God. I'm going to stop there. Prayer for revival. It takes passion, it takes humility. We've got to be moved, people. We've got to be moved by sin. We've got to know God deeper and better than we do. We've got to know his holiness better if we're ever going to have power over our sin. We need the Holy Spirit to work among us. Don't be satisfied with ordinary, everyday, mundane Christianity. I'm not. I'm not. Any questions or comments before we close in prayer? And we'll pick this up next week. Anything? Yes. Right. Absolutely. Living by faith. And that's how you describe really a lot of these people of the past we're pointing to. See, my whole thing with the, with the, that changed my life, the biographies and autobiographies of these Christians. Because I realized that if they're a Christian, I'm not. (laughs) We're so utterly different. I need what they have. We've forgotten, right? Israel went to the land and they forgot the mighty works that God did in Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness. We've forgotten the mighty works, the mighty revivals, the mighty men and women who've lived and walked by faith. We've forgotten. And we think, oh, God doesn't do that anymore. We're no different than the unsaved. I gotta see it, and it's gotta make we we, we rationalize everything. We got, if we don't see it, you know, it didn't happen. We argue like unbelievers sometimes. I said living by faith. It's a great point. Anything else? Jason?
2: Um, like you said, I've just been uh, listening to a lot of books. It's been, it's been what a blessing it has just uh, in my life, just because just to know the power of the prayer that she had. I, mean, I, I just finished my second book, which is Trump of the Lord, and she prayed for amazing things, and God provided amazing responses to prayer, which just to hear and just see, you know, as a Christian, uh, it changes your life. Like, you know, if she can pray that much and have that much faith in God to move right. in circumstances when she's on a plane right. and she leaves her luggage and she leaves her luggage and he stops the plane He makes her makes the captain of the plane go back. And she picks up her bag for so she
0: can have that with her. It's just right. so, Two thoughts on, on that line. For those who haven't read the, her book, her stuff, Corey Ten Boom, she walked with God so closely. She once flew to, I, I, I don't remember, if it was Cuba or India or somewhere, another country. She wasn't invited. She didn't know... Why she just felt God sending her there. And she got to the airport and there was nobody there. And then some Christian pulls up the airport and sees her and recognizes her and says, You're Cory Tin Boom. Goes, I just felt the Lord put it on my heart that somebody was down here needing me at the airport. And she had like weeks worth of meetings to, 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 to speak in. That's amazing. Uh, she she lay out her, her, her map of the world and she'd pray for God to to guide her in planning out her trips. And so God would give her the trip. And then one time she called to make her plane reservations and the person says, well, the problem is you can't go from here to here because there's nowhere in between the gas at the plane. So God was wrong. And she goes, well, God's never wrong. And so she hung up and she prayed again. And she says, Lord, Lord, if I misunderstood something, then you know, let me know. While she's praying, the lady calls back. She goes, did you pray for an island? She goes, yes, I did. So I just got word that we got a lease to, to, to stop at this island in between these two places in the ocean and gas up the plane and so you can have your original flight itinerary like you wanted to have. That's what I'm talking about. God does that stuff today. That's not just then. She wasn't a special Christian. That's the life we all should be living today. That's not mundane Christianity. We need to start a book club. We can just read these together. Read a chapter before a prayer meeting or something. I don't know. I'm still thinking about a two-hour prayer meeting. But the point is, that's what I'm talking about. God has done that kind of stuff in the past, and we're settling for what we have today, flashing lights and fog machines. Come on. Nonsense, right? God can do something among us. Anything else? I don't want to start preaching again. I'm not careful, I do that. Art.
1: I'm trying to keep it really cheap because sometimes I share and it, it's kind of like I wouldn't believe it if I didn't see it. But one of the reasons that living and I like court. stop it. <laughs> gotta stop just crying, but anyway.
2: This is
0: the place for it, brother. Here's it, this is the place for it. When the
1: Lord just puts a burden on my heart for the lost souls. It's not coming from me. It never has. <laughs> but the Lord has just been, we've been praying a lot. I've been praying a lot. And one of the things that the Lord is showing me that the things that we saw in the vision with we. Can says that you only have one mission. You know, we can we can have all the knowledge we can from the word of God, but if we don't do nothing with it, it becomes just a mental exercise. And we do need to pray. And we do need to pray. Uh, when we went to Hollywood we were prayed up for I was praying for at least two weeks. Some guys needed even more. Some guys fasted. But when we went out, it was crazy. But there was no fear. There was no fear. You know, when praying stuff came upon when I saw that lady that was nuts, there was no fear at all. Right. It's like you knew God was there. And that's the power of, of, of prayer. So I just want
0: yeah. to share that. Amen. we Yeah, amen. Any else who will pray and dismiss? Yes. I to
1: comment. It just reminded me of one of Ruben's favorite songs. Years back, changed my heart of oh God. Right. It and it's like, oh, he's the
0: we're mm-hmm. We have to be molded God. That should be how we are, willing for God to move. Amen. I think we're gonna add that in the song list for next Wednesday night. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good song. All right, let's just miss in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this evening, the chance to come together again to be together in your presence, Lord. We ask you, Lord, do a work among us. Revive us, Lord. We want you. God, you are our treasure, our aim, our everything. We want to know you deeper. We want a vision of your holiness that will change us, Lord. We want to have an impact in our community, an impact that only you could bring in our families. Lord, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for not being interested sometimes. Forgive us for tolerating compromising. No more. No more. Do a work among us, Lord. We love you, God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. We praise you, we thank you for who you are. Oh, that you would mold us into your image and your likeness. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.